forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. What sins have you committed? <laughs> well... Hey everyone, welcome to Forgive Me, Father, a podcast where we discuss how certain aspects of life and a walk with God go together or don't mesh so well. Through discussions of personal vices and victories, we hope to help you, the listener, understand others more and create conversations, no matter what you've experienced or believe. Wow, you got deep into it. I give you oh, that. I, I nosedived straight into this thing. I threw all caution into the winds. I was a kid that didn't know how to swim, and I was like, oh, that high dive looks pretty cool. <laughs> and that's the best way I can describe me doing this podcast. Well, you know, different people have different levels of commitment. So that's good, though. That's good. Yeah. Commitment is one word for it. I've been using the word obsessive. I think I have an obsessive personality. And so when I find something that I'm passionate about, I'm just all in, you know, so I love my job. So I'm all in with that. You know, I give 100% every time I'm there. I love working out. I'll basically break down my body. <laughs> just to work out or like lift weights or feel like I'm accomplishing something with that progress. And so when I started this podcast, I became very obsessive with it too. And just dedicated every waking hour to where my room, I think I told you, but my roommate was like, you need to eat something, my dude, you need to, you, you, you can't be living this lifestyle and living off like leftover pizza. And I said, watch yeah. me. And then I had to take like a day off and rest. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We're here today with my good friend, Babatunde Pentimity. I'm pretty sure I said that right. I know you like, it's funny how you stuttered a bit. Like you didn't like fully <laughs> trust in it. Like you're like, is it? Yeah, Babatunde, <laughs> Babatunde. But most of the times he'll call me Baba throughout this podcast, most likely. So yeah, most yeah. Baba is just me. easier. It's <laughs> a long name, man. I have such a short name. John Adams is so easy, but also yeah. it's, it's way too common and it's way too white. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but Bob and I go way back. Uh, we worked at the same daycare in Salem, Virginia for quite some time. I was there for five years. I left in 2017 to go work at a coffee shop. Yeah. And you were there. I think you joined a year after I did, right? Oh, I think I came in later than that into oh. your uh, career. Cause I remember I started working in, I started working there probably like 2017. And, oh, um, there's no way. I think we had at least a few summers there together. Maybe I it was thought, 2016. I think it was 2017 though. Hmm. Cause I, I, it might be 2016. I don't know. It's all years, <laughs> you know? Right. But dude, we lived it up, you know, going on all those field trips with the school age kids to like during summer camp and having like a hundred kids there and then yeah going on field trips to like the movie theater and we go to like different campgrounds and like spend like the day there like swimming in the lake and stuff like that we played yeah. spike ball a ton oh yeah spike ball oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah we we, we were into it we were the champs i mean oh we know, killed let's it let's be real like we were the dream team <laughs> <laughs> right for any if any of our old coworkers listening we were the dream team don't don't send us any messages disputing what may or may not be true about that yeah don't don't <laughs> at me don't at me we were the best around we were we were the kings i remember when we would get into it with other coworkers like just get into the game and start getting competitive and still having fun we 
we kept running games back and we didn't let the kids play for like 30 minutes. They would be like, yeah, let me play. Let me get next. Let me, you know, and these like second graders were sitting around waiting to play and we were just taking up the whole gym area playing yeah. this game because we were so aggressive. We were like sweating. Looking back at it, it was probably pretty irresponsible because, I mean, like, I don't think we were actually looking at the kids at all. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. That's true. Out of, like, the six teachers they had in the gym, four of them are playing spike ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But good times. I, I also love playing dodgeball. That was another thing. Scatterball was probably one of my favorite games yeah, that we played. Yeah, you got too serious. You'd be, like, pegging kids. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to only go after the kids that I thought needed a little more discipline in their life. <laughs> <laughs> Which just happened to be 90% of the kids. Yeah, exactly. You know, spare the, what is it? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Yeah. I was just trying to, I wanted to go by that proverb and just live it up from there. <laughs> but yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And Baba's still, you're still in the Salem area, right? Salem Roanoke area. Yeah. I mean, I live in Roanoke now. I mean, I lived in Roanoke before, but I work in Roanoke now, too. Mm -hmm. And so today, we're going to talk a bit about our high school experiences with God and the Bible and church and being able to hear Baba's experiences through his walk through high school and how that also translates now to him teaching as a youth pastor, teaching kids that are around that same age. How does his experiences help him? when it comes to helping other people around that age to, to God, to Christ, to the Bible. So Baba, give, give the listeners a little, a little, a uh, little rundown of who you are and your, and your religious background. Well, Hey, like you said, my name is Baba Tunde Pentimity. Uh, I usually go by Baba. I've actually, I was actually been raised in the same church now that I work at. Um, it's an assemblies of God church. If y'all don't know what assemblies of God is, assemblies of God is a fellowship inside of the Pentecostal faith and Pentecostal uh, believers, they just believe that everything that's in the Bible that happened before could still be things that could happen now. So where you, if, if you've ever read the book of Acts, where they talk about people speaking in tongues, people doing miraculous healing and all those types of things, like we still believe that that can happen now. Uh, some other uh, denominations don't believe that. But uh, we're definitely a denomination that believes that, hey, we can still pray over people and God can still heal them. We can still uh, speak in a heavenly language and all that type of stuff. So, Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you're like me to where you grew up going to church. Uh, my mom was heavily involved in choir. My grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher at not one, but two different churches. And... It's funny how like people who grow up going to church, this is stuff that they've always they've always kind of known, you know, the the stories of Jesus, the stories of God, what it means to be a good Christian person, what it means to, you know, be a light to people, these different ideas. But for you, when we talked before this, you had mentioned that you got your walk with God became a little more real and a little more serious as you got closer to high school, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for me like um, I, I, I have a similar type of situation where it was like my mom and my dad were both really involved in church by the time that I was born. And so growing up, like I was always at church. I was at church on Sundays. I was at church on Wednesdays. Any other time that it was open, um, I was there. Um, <laughs> and, that, and that was just the thing. You better be there. You better stay awake. 
like that type mm-hmm. of thing going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I got so I got used to that type of mindset, and I got used to the whole world of church. Um, but definitely, like, I'll say that my kind of my kind of transition was very much of, hey, you know what? Like, I can't just be the guy that comes to church. I can't just be a church dude. Like, I need to be a Christian. And mm. so, like, that was, like, a big switch for me. So mine was actually later in my high school career because early in my high school career, I believed and I didn't do a lot of the things that other people were doing. But I didn't do all the things that the other people were doing just because I wanted to make my parents happy and just because I wanted to make sure my parents didn't get mad and blah, blah, blah. But it yeah. wasn't really because, like, oh, I love Jesus. That's why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was the summer after my junior year that um, God had showed up to me in um, this church camp. If y'all don't know how church camp works, let me tell y'all how church camp works, okay? Lay it on us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to lay down the truth. Basically, <laughs> you put a bunch of kids on a campground, and then you say, hey, you know what? We're going to play games. You're barely going to sleep, and then we're going to fill you with caffeine and sugar. Then you're going to encounter Jesus somehow through all that. <laughs> That is an incredibly accurate description. <laughs> Going to several different church camps when I was growing up, that is incredibly accurate. It's like all fun and games, all energy, and then it's all exhaustion, but you're still going. And then it's like, bang, here's Jesus and your heart. What's good? And you're just like, oh, uh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, but no, it was good though. I, I, I went to that camp for years, but uh, this is where I had like a real encounter because, um, a lot of times because of camp culture, if, if anyone has been to camp a lot or like they know about a lot of church camps, a lot of that culture, it ends up being like that people have like this real uh, spiritual high and then they don't go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, after that, after that junior year at camp, God showed up to me in a crazy way. And I was like, you know, I can't just like do what I always do. I can't just be like, oh, God, I'm going to give you everything and then not give him everything. So Mm -hmm. I ended up going into my senior year fully committed to the mission and fully committed to doing what God wanted me to do, which is a weird thing and a crazy thing because, you know, you go into senior year with those type of convictions and stuff like that, and that basically knocks out a lot of what senior year is for people. Yeah, (laughs) it's very true. Yeah, because a lot of people, you know, they want to live their life. They want to, eh, let's get turned, all that type Senior of stuff. Senior year, bro. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so all that stuff is going on. And, um, but yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be different. The weird thing for me was I, um, to kind of uh, bring it back a little bit, a lot of who I was as a person was kind of framed around church and kind of framed around education because my, because my dad being an African dad, if y'all, if y'all, any of y'all listeners out there have African parents, y'all know that education is like a high priority. Like, you're not going to be sitting here coming home with a C. What, what is a C? You want to see this belt? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> none of that. So that was a big thing. And so uh, because of that, like education and faith being a big part of me, I didn't act like everyone else. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people, like, they would sit there and try to put a name to it. They would try and say, oh, well, you don't act black. You act white. 
or like you're the whitest dude around, you're an Oreo, all that type of stuff that you would hear. Mm-hmm. And if y'all don't know the Oreo thing, you know, black eye, black on the outside, white in the middle, that was what they would say. Mm-hmm. And so um, because of that, like I was kind of in this weird tension where like I never really felt like I fit in anywhere. And, you know, it was like I had a family that loved me and I had a family that cared for me. And they treated me really well. And I never felt like I wasn't loved by my family. But I felt like that was out of obligation. Like I felt like the only reason why my parents love me and my family loved me is because they have to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really feel like anyone else did. You know, and some of the times that even uh, went over to what happened in church. And so um, I went through a lot of high school just kind of like doubting that like people cared about me or doubting that I mattered and all those types of things. But I remember going into the senior year a lot more confident uh, because like with that faith, I chose to be the person that God had called me to be. And even with the things that I did encounter that year, because I did encounter some problems and one of, one of those issues that I ended up uh, dealing with was um, was actually my senior year also. It was, um, I started dealing with porn. And a lot of that was because, you know, like senior year, what? I have a, I have a phone? What? Mm-hmm. This phone can go mm-hmm. on the internet? Huh? <laughs> and so like, you know, that becomes a problem. And so I had to deal with that. And I was also dealing with that, but I was trying to be the best I could be for Jesus. And so... If anyone is out there and you're wrestling with that, I understand what that feels like because you feel like you're not good enough to actually be talking to people about Jesus. But then Mm -hmm. you're also like, I want to tell people about Jesus because that's what I'm supposed to do. So it's this weird tension that you find yourself in. I just remembered that vividly. And I remember just trying to live that year, trying to show everyone that they were loved and accepted and cared for because I knew in my life, that was something I did was not feeling like anyone wanted to be there for me. Mm. Do you think that feeling of desiring acceptance motivated you to be open about that struggle with pornography? Or do you think it motivated you to kind of keep it shut and present yourself as someone who has it all together? Because for me, senior year in high school is when I really found God as well. And my whole perspective changed halfway through senior year because I had kind of like built into this culture that this school that I wanted to fit in with with the high schoolers. And so I was cutting up in class. I was saying crude jokes. I was all doing all this different stuff. And then February rolled around. And I got baptized and I was like, all right, different me. And I think I still wanted to be accepted by a huge amount of people like just in general, whether it was high schoolers or also my church community in my church culture. So I remember struggling with pornography as well. But there were times where I wanted to hide it because I was like, oh, they're not going to accept me if, if they know that I'm struggling, if they know that I'm anything less than perfect or anything even remotely human. That was my fear. And that motivated me to sometimes not open up. Uh, is that something that you can relate to? Oh, most definitely. That was definitely the thing. Because like, I I never even told anyone senior year. I was dealing with it. I was struggling with it. But I was like, I'm not going to let anyone know about this. Like, I'm like, God, I will do anything I can to get to get rid of this or whatever. And then so I was sitting here looking at articles and looking at videos of like, what what do you do when this is something that you're struggling with? And like, one of the main things they were saying was tell somebody. And I was like, 
okay, I can do anything but that. Uh, <laughs> so, I, so I wasn't telling anyone. And where I really had the real freedom was actually after I graduated high school. And I finally came up and I told somebody what was going on. And they kind of helped me keep me accountable. And they still kind of keep me accountable to this day. But yeah, definitely like, oh my gosh, the need to people please, the need for people to uh, love you and accept you will almost always pull you into like isolating things that you're actually dealing with. Yeah, for sure. It's makes me think of the scripture in James 5.16 where it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I remember reading that and talking about that with fellow Christians in my teen ministry and the youth group I was a part of in Roanoke. And we had always mentioned this of like, hey, confessing your sins is where healing really starts. We pray for each other, all these different things. But I remember, <laughs> I remember dealing with this, this fear of like, they're not going to accept me if they know my sins, if they know how imperfect I am. So I'm like, I'm technically a righteous man. My prayer is powerful and effective. That'll be enough. And so I like struggled to, to be open because I was like, I need to fix this myself. Like I'll confess it between me and God. It'll stay healed there. And then I can continue to present myself righteous to these other people. But I mean, I'm sure you know that that doesn't work out that way. And here's the thing. And the thing is that like a lot of the people, if you, if you haven't dealt with this, you might be thinking, oh, we were trying to be fake. But at least in my case, I was not trying to be fake. Like I would often tell people, oh, yeah, I've got problems, blah, blah, blah. But I'd be mm -hmm. very vague about that because mm -hmm. like kind of how church culture is, they kind of glorify being vague about things that you deal with because, yeah. oh, everyone struggles, but no one wants to talk about like the actual things they're struggling with. Absolutely. Or like for me. It was, I'll be open about other things in great detail, but when it came to sexual sins, I don't talk about that as much. I'll be a little yeah. vague about that one. Oh, yeah. And because, like, I mean, those are the most personal. I mean, they really are. And, um, and so, like, it was easier to say, oh, yeah, I lie sometimes. Uh, sometimes I disobey my parents. You know, like, stuff like that. Yeah, it was easier like, to touch on. Sorry, I was going to say, it's easier to touch on the the bigger or, like, the more, like, normal teenage things like i was disrespectful to my teacher my mom said this and i talked back you know it's it's easier to talk about that stuff but especially in, in high school when you're trying to find your place with sexual sin being such a big topic it's easier to kind of like shy away from that for fear of that that rejection or that lack of acceptance yeah and it's definitely just a thing in general that like we often we do think of those other things as the normal things but Honestly, pornography is a regular thing that people are dealing with now because of like how readily and accessible it is. Like I know a lot of kids that they're getting smartphones when they're like um, in fifth grade, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're going through that whole change of like, huh, gir girls are kind of icky to girls. <laughs> oh, wow. Girls, like, you know, like yeah. that whole difference. And so like you're going through that and they, now you have technology and some parents like they actually do keep track of it. Some don't really. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that like the problem is continuing to rise. And so one thing I recognized just later in life was that 
the longer that the church stays silent on these things, the more and more we, those things will prevail and the more and more those things will grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So obviously that that's a really big struggle you had with being a Christian in high school. What was one of the greatest victories you saw with being a Christian in high school? Oh, definitely. Like the greatest thing about being a Christian in high school was that like, I could finally make an impact on people because Mm -hmm. truthfully, I believe this. And, you know, if you're someone that is questioning faith or not in faith or whatever, don't take any offense to this, but I think you make the greatest effect on people when you have a a faith that drives you to do what you do and not saying that, that, that there are not good people who don't have faith. But just that I think that like your impact grows and your impact is so much larger when you can be able to um, have something that drives that. And so that year, like I felt like I actually made an impact on people's lives. Like I, I constantly had people that would be like, oh, man, you're, you're awesome, man. If, I wish more Christians were like you. Or like, mm-hmm. I wish like, you know, if every Christian act like you, maybe I'd, maybe I'd believe a little bit more. And to me, mm-hmm. that was where I wanted to be was that I wanted to show people that, hey, they matter. And so mm-hmm. b- biggest victories were those moments where there are people that were outsiders and that people didn't really like that um, just kind of felt like they were loved for once. Mm-hmm. And um, that was good for me. Yeah, especially if that's something you want to go after, having a relationship with God, no matter if you're in high school or you're older, being able to have a strong faith and being able to make an impact is a huge reward. It's great to see people's hearts change, whether that's in full effect towards God or if it's just having a positive impact and letting people know like, oh, I'm not so alone in this world or there is someone who can hear me out or just being able to be a source of light, a source of love to people and seeing that impact and knowing that that comes from God working through you who wants to follow him. That's an amazing victory to see. You know, it's not always these big statistical victories. Sometimes it's just this person has, I've, I've helped them with a, with a positive outlook or I helped them through this tough situation and you can sit back and be like, yeah, wow, God used me for that. That's incredible. Yeah, like I could never be one of those people that like sits there and comes out with like these big numbers and says, you know what, that year I brought 50 people to Christ. Like I can't right. say that. But like one thing I can say is I did show them the love of Christ. And mm-hmm. it, it, it people did recognize the difference. Like I saw people that they would be like, man, I don't know. Like even if they didn't know that it was Christ, they knew that there was something different about me that made me care for them more than other people did and i think that that's just a, a really important thing people that aren't even christian now still come up to me and will be like hey man i you were always really nice to me in high school and you know you always made my day with your dumb jokes because a lot of time i have corny jokes like that's that's something that's been consistent throughout all my life that's still <laughs> all i have too yeah <laughs> Like I've had the dad jokes and I'm not even a dad yet. Like it's just how it is. Um. Right. Right. My biggest qualifications for being a father one day is jokes alone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's kind of like what the high school experience was for me. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, 
Matthew 5, verses 14, and then verse 16. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a city cannot be hidden. And then skipping down to verse 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And for you being able to be such a great tool for God's kingdom in in high school, can you explain how that translated into you wanting to pursue being in the ministry? Yeah. Um, for me, like the kind of drive to uh, go into youth ministry is that I went on this uh, mission trip and I went to Anchorage, Alaska. It was really awesome. And we went there and we were able to witness the people there. But we had this time where, where we uh, sat down and we were praying. And in this time of prayer, I felt God show me the people that I was going to make an impact on and show me the people that I was going to uh, change. and. And he was showing me how I was going to be instrumental in helping people get through life's uh, situations. That really drove me because I've always, that's always been a passion of mine is to make people's day, make people laugh, make, bring joy into people's life. And so that led me more even than anything to wanting to be a youth pastor was I wanted every student that comes into my youth group or any student that's associated with the youth group uh, to always feel like they mattered enough, that somebody, that somebody would spend time with them, that somebody would talk to them, that somebody would hear them. That's always been a driving force of what I do in my youth ministry is loving people and showing them that they matter. Yeah. For sure. I mean, even now for me, someone who does not claim to be a Christian, that impact that people had on me showing me that love, the love of Jesus, the love of God, it really had a big impact on my morals to where I'm the same way as you. Like I want to be a good light for people, you know, and I not for me personally, I don't tie that back to God now, but I want to make the world a better place in any way that I can, whether it is like making somebody feel heard, making somebody feel loved, even in, even with challenging people. I'm sure being a youth pastor comes with not only loving people and making people know that they feel heard and that they matter as high schoolers now, but also there, there comes times for, for you to challenge them as well, because as Christians, you're always trying to learn, you're always trying to grow. So can yeah. you speak upon how you that love you have for them also translates to you calling them higher. Yeah. I, I think it, for me, it kind of relates to anyone that like, know, that's like known the story or there was a story where Jesus counters this woman who, who just got caught in adultery. The rule at that time and the law at that time is if somebody is caught in adultery, you take them out and you stone them. Which means, which doesn't mean that you give them weed. Um, <laughs> that's not what we mean. Not that type of stone. <laughs> um, but like, you literally like you you would throw rocks at them until they die. Like like you literally like you pelt rocks at them until they stop breathing. Yeah, and it was a public spectacle too. Like, yeah, everybody every, came out. Everyone came out, young and old. They came out and they saw like this this uh, adulterer get stoned, mm. and so. Jesus encounters this woman and um, he comes up to her and he stands in front of her so that she can't get hit by the rocks. And then he talks to the people and he says, Hey, whichever one of you has not sinned, throw the first stone. Mm -hmm. And so 
everyone is silent because they start recognizing that they can't throw that. Like they don't have the power to sit there and say that, oh, I've never sinned before, so oh, I can throw this. They uh, one by one, and it says that like of the ones that were left, um, it was actually the oldest that started leaving first because they knew. It's like I know what I've been through, <laughs> and then like and then like the youngest left last, and then it was left there. And then Jesus looks at the woman that was caught in adultery and he tells her, he says, all right, there's no one here to accuse you. So sin no more. And so Mm -hmm. I I tell you that story because that's a big part of what ministry is. It's showing is stepping out and taking the blows of the enemy from somebody, something that could take their life and say, Hey, I love you enough that I'm going to stand in front of this. And then you turn around into them and you're like, now that you know the love that I have for you, now that you know, now you know that I have my best intentions for you. And so now I'm going to show you the, a better way to live. That's kind of what, how ministry works for me. I am very intentional. I don't care how they come in. I know a lot of students that come in with different sins that you can be able to tell pretty much instantly what they're dealing with. and. And so I always tell my students, I'm like, I don't care if your friend cusses in here. Like, I really don't care. Like, bring them in. Like, you know, that'll be something that changes as time goes on. But I'm not expecting them to come in safe. Right. And so I show them love. And then as time goes on, as they know that I love them, I challenge them. Um, And I think that's what it is. It's kind of this even open accountability, too. Because I talked about, like, with my story about uh, with porn and just how like I felt like I was kind of trapped and isolated from it. Part of that trap entrapment and that isolation, that's because of the culture that we create where we don't care about the people. We care about their progress. We look at them as like a little uh, project to work on rather than looking right. at them as a person. Right. And so I think that when you start recognizing that they are a person, like no matter what sin they're dealing with, no matter how many people they're sleeping with at school, no matter what drugs they're doing, no matter how much how drunk they're getting every weekend, whatever else is going on in their life, saying, hey, you matter, I love you, I'm here for you, and I'm going to he- be here to help you through the process. It's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of uh, establishing the foundation and then telling them, hey, but you can't do that. Like I had a conversation with uh, one of my students and they were, um, they were just, they were dealing with something and they were trying to figure out, like they were just like, you know, can I continue to do this and like go to heaven or whatever? And I was like, I mean, that's the wrong question, you know? I mean, and, and, and I was just honest with the student. I, I, I was like, Hey, I love you no matter what you choose to do, but God isn't going to let you continue to stay in sin and then be like, Hey, right you get to come with me and meet with me forever, you know? And, um, and that's, that's what my job is now. It's a lot of getting into their context, wherever that may be, being at their sports games or whatever, cheering for them and being at their art shows, being at their dance recitals, going there and like saying, Hey, I'm not only here for that Wednesday or Sunday that um, Mm. you see me preaching. I'm here for your whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important because the kids now, wow, I feel so old saying that the kids, <laughs> the youths, 
<laughs> I'm only 27 and I feel so old saying the kids nowadays get off yeah. my lawn. Uh, <laughs> but the high schoolers today and the ones in your youth group now, they're still battling similar battles to us that we had when we were in high school. Oh, yeah. Am I going to be accepted even if I confess this sin? Am I going to be accepted even if I don't do this? Yeah. Uh, the, the pressures of school are still there to fit in with that culture and how sometimes high school culture conflicts with church culture. Yeah. And from what it sounds like is that you've been able to take your struggles and your memory of, of, that, of those conflicts and those victories and make sure that the kids feel accepted no matter what is going to happen. Like you still yeah. love them, you know, and it's not like, Hey, if you do this, then you earn my acceptance. It's like, no, I accept you and I love you. And this is why we're having these tough talks. This is why I'm giving you this guidance. Exactly. And that's a big part for me because Jesus never came out. There's another, there's another account in the Bible where he, uh, he sits here, he comes out with a whip and starts whipping it in the air and starts telling mm -hmm. everyone to get out of the temple because they weren't treating it right. Now, some people may look at that and think that that's how Jesus reacts whenever we come to him with sin. But no, mm -hmm. he, this is how he reacts to the people that are religious and that know better than this and that have been, that have been reading the scriptures. Have been a, he's like, hey, y'all can't act like this. Y'all know better. But then mm -hmm. he sees the people that like are dealing with these terrible sins and he meets them where they're at. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a big part of what I do is just meeting people where they're at. I'm not here to be the judge with the gavel. I'm not here to be the guy to, to punch you in the face, but I'm, I'm here to be the one to, to uh, hold your hand and help you through life. And that's just what I, that's just what I do. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And the biggest thing that Jesus did is that he was exactly who the person needed him to be. So the stories that you're referencing, the woman who was supposed to get stoned, that's in John 8 for our listeners, where he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. That's John 8. And then the story about making the whip out of cords and then chasing the moneylenders out of the temple, that's John 2. And you are correct. It was the people within the temple who knew how the temple was supposed to be run, who knew what they were supposed to be doing. He was the one at that time. It was the Jesus of, listen, you know what you're supposed to be doing you know that this is wrong and I'm not going to stand for this. And it wasn't even this hatred. It's like, you know what you should be doing. You know, not to defile my father's house. What's going yeah. on here? You know? And, but then with the, with a sinful woman, it was, this is wrong. There's compassion and love for you with, with me, Jesus speaking that you won't find anywhere else in this world. Now take this love and live a life that glorifies me. And being a high school pastor, being a youth pastor, you have that same responsibility as well. And I think all of us, anyone who calls himself a Christian, when it comes to helping people grow, helping people learn, helping people walk closer with God, it's learning how to be what that person needs them to be. So high schoolers yeah. need that attention. They need that love. They need that. Sometimes they need us to hold their hand and guide them and say, no, this is wrong. This is right. This is sinful. This is righteous. Yeah. Whereas like older people, like you and I now in our older age, you know, and getting into our retirement home ages of what it yeah, feels yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <retirement>. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But now you and I do know this is sin. And so for me, if I claim to be a Christian and walk in this way, and then I, I commit certain sins, it would be proper for someone else like you to come up to me and be like, John, you can't live this way. If you talk about glorifying God, you can't be committing these sins. It's just, it's not righteous, my guy. But with high schoolers, they do need a little bit more compassion. Well, and here's the thing, like, so I, I work with both middle schoolers and high schoolers. Mm-hmm. So I, so I'm like, so I get the full spectrum of things mm-hmm. because in middle school, you've, you're even more trying to find yourself and you don't understand who you are at all. Middle school rough. Tr- yeah. And I mean, you're just, you're just trying, you just do whatever. Cause you're just like, <laughs> I don't know. Do I like sports or do I like books? I don't know. And like, you're trying to right. figure that out. And then the high school, like it's different thing, but I, I'll do you one a little bit better. Okay. So I actually, there are students in, um, in my uh, ministry where they are at the point where I could sit there and be like, and do like the whole whip thing, whip yeah. it up in the air and just be like, Hey, you know, better like that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there are some students that they might even be the oldest ones in the youth group, but they're still at not a place and so I, I think that sometimes people think that it's all about an age thing, but it's about, right. but it's more about a maturity thing. And maturity yeah. is something that like, there are some people that are in my church right now ha- are like 80 something years old, but they are, they have the spiritual maturity of a toddler, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, like it's gauging those things and being able to figure out where you are in the process to what they need. And um, yeah. sometimes you need both. I mean, when a kid is like two or three years old, they need a lot of coddling, but there's a, they know what's right and wrong. They know, right. They know dad, dad said, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And so like, sometimes you need to discipline them. And I, and I, and so I think it's kind of the same. And what I deal with too is now the culture has changed so much where I, there are where, when I used to work at Lakeside, there was a kid that was uh, really contemplating killing himself and like really contemplating, like taking his own life because he didn't feel like he mattered. And like, those are things I never thought of when I was in elementary school. I never thought of those as an option, but because of that, we are now in a culture where people are going into middle school and high school and already broken. And like, you know, I have students in my youth group that luckily I found them when they did. Because some of them, like, they told me, like, their stories, and some of them were getting ready to take their own life. And some of them had already had attempts on their life. I think, like, it really is, like, hearing people's story and hearing what, where they're at. Because I can't just assume, oh, right. well, you're older. You said you've been in church for a year, so you know. They might not, you know? Yeah. And so that that's part of it, I would say, to all Christians. Like, if you guys are watching this and y'all are trying to – figure out how to be a better person. One of them is listening to people and not mm-hmm. listening for a response, but like listening to their stories and hearing what they have to say. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. Yeah. I apologize if it sounded like I meant you and I now in terms of age, you know, twenties, uh, you are absolutely correct. I, I, I meant it in terms of like mature, spiritual maturity. Cause you and I are, are familiar yeah. with scriptures and stuff like that. So thank you for correcting me on that or, or clarifying that. Yeah. I would just clarify that more for the people that were listening because oh, I, sure. I understand where your mind is at, but I was like, some people, they might hear that and be like, oh, okay, so the old people whips out, like, you know, right. like, 
And that's right. not always the case. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. And, and I appreciate that because, like I said before, I'm not I'm not an expert on how to eloquently speak things. This podcast is 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 a platform to talk about stuff like this because it does need to be talked about. So I appreciate you coming on and whoever else comes on that helps me clarify what I'm trying to say as well. But getting back to the point that you said about learning how to listen to people and understanding where their spiritual maturity is at, because you're right, you can't look at somebody's age and think, oh, they should know better about this spiritual about the spiritual topic just based upon their age, because that's not right. I actually have a friend that's going to be on the podcast talking how she didn't know about church, culture, religion, Jesus, God, until she was in high school. But for you and I, we knew that from a very young age. And so listening to people is so crucial. Is there a, is there a big victory that you can think of being a youth pastor where you were able to take time to listen to someone else's story and then saw the great conversations and the great fruit that came of that. Oh yeah. Honestly, I see a lot of that now. I actually, I've had like, it's just really, it's to me, it's confirmation that God brought me here for a certain purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've had a few students come up to me and tell me, cause like we do some stuff sometimes where we ask people to kind of tell their stories, just kind of talk about like where they were at. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a few students that were like, yeah, honestly, before, uh, before we came into the youth group, we were struggling like really bad with just like our self-confidence and who I was as a person. And mm-hmm. now you help me to be where I'm at. Or like I have one student that um, she, she shared with everyone that like, and she still deals with anxiety, uh, but she also had like an eating disorder. She came into the youth group like with that eating disorder and she was very scared to come in because like, you know, the anxiety. And so like she was really worried about coming in and feeling like she was, you know, hoping that, you know, everything wasn't going to be like super out there and crazy. And Mm -hmm. um, she was just talking to me and she was saying that like, you know, me and my sisters just reaching out to her in the youth group and treating her like she mattered. Like that helped her process through what she is. And so now like she's now she's about to go to college and I'm so glad for all the improvement that she's had. Like she came in and barely would say three words. And uh, like now she's like preached a sermon before for the youth group. That's awesome. And, you know, and that's crazy to, to see those. So I definitely think that that's a big victory, not for me, but really for the kingdom, because even though like she's still got a lot of work to go, just like we all do, I definitely can see that she's came a long way just because of what God has done. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And it's so comforting to hear the things that you're sharing now on this on this podcast because there really are ways that I've, I remember thinking back to high school. There were a lot of things in those who mentored me in the church that I was a part of that hurt whether it was the pressures of you should know better, you should do this, you should do that. And there was lack, there was a certain lack of love. I think there was no lack of good intention, but there was a little bit of a lack of love with how things came across that actually fed into that scared or that, that fear of, I can't confess this or I won't be accepted. On the flip side though, there are, there were amazing people in particular this one guy named James, he, he was my mentor when I was in high school in the church that I was a part of. And he spoke with such love, such 
open listening. Uh, James one nineteen talks about we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And that was just him. And it was the most impactful. It I still think about him and I's times together when it comes to my own meditation of my walk with God. Uh, and it's fantastic to hear that you have gone through these times and these periods of as well of, well, this was negative or this was positive. And now you're doing all that you can do as well to help grow God's kingdom with what God has put in your lap uh, with his calling for you. Yeah. And there's just a thing like I, I, I firmly believe, as you were saying, I, I was reminded of the verse in Ephesians 4.15. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And like sharing the truth in love is so important because I don't mm -hmm. care. I don't care what you know. I just care about, I just care that you love me. Like I care that you, because you can know all of these things and know all of the, have all of this intelligence, but it means nothing in the end of the day if you have this intelligence, but you don't like share it in a way that can help me. Yeah. Agreed. That there's that old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That was what I was actually trying to look for. <laughs> Those are the words I was looking for, but I forgot what the phrasing was. So I said, forget it. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> and like, and like I said, there were certain people who did care about me, but they came out, came at me with so much truth that I was kind of taken aback and I was kind of scared and I kind of like clammed up. Yeah. And it, it really is for anyone who calls himself a Christian, anybody who wants to help other people grow in their relationship with God, you can be more one of the other and you can get your point across. But I think it should be everybody's goal to learn how to do that with equal care, equal truth and equal love and knowing when to use both of those to really give to really connect with somebody and help people grow in their walk with God not just as a youth pastor, not just with high schoolers, but just in general, friends to friends, mother to child, and sometimes even child to parents. It really is important to, to use that, that truth and love that Ephesians 4 talks about. Yeah. And it, it's, just, it's just a big part of like what I think that every person should do. I know there might be some of you guys that are listening to this and y'all are definitely like on the side where y'all have been hurt by church members and y'all have been hurt by people. I just want to tell you right now that that's not the heart of God. Um, mm -hmm. I know that if you don't know God well right now, you may feel like that is his heart, but I promise you that's not. He's never the type of person that's just there. Like God is not sitting on a planet somewhere ready to throw a lightning bolt down every time that you do <laughs> something wrong. Like that's right. not the, that's not the view of God that we should have. Like God is sitting there with open arms and yeah, he challenges us. Yeah. He tells us to do things that were, are out of our comfort zone, but he's definitely never going to be just the judgmental. Like God is a judge, but God is not only a judge, he's also a loving father. And, and, and that's hard to hear for, especially for people that if you don't have a good relationship with your father, like it might be hard to hear like those things. But when I say a loving father, I don't mean the guy that comes in impregnates your mom and then just leaves. Or a guy that just calls in every once in a while, hey, bud, how you doing? Happy birthday. Like, God is not, like, that type of father. Like, he's the type of father that's like, hey, you know, hey, kid, I love you. I'm going to help you during all of these processes. 
I'm going to help you through these times where you hate yourself. I'm going to help you through these times where you don't like me. I'm going to help you through all of this. That's what it really means when gays say that God is a loving father. Yeah, there's going to be episodes of this podcast where we talk about people who come from broken homes. I grew up without a father. I have a really scarred past with knowing my biological father's history with me. I was adopted, for those who don't know, I was adopted at 10 months old. But the story of why I got put up for adoption heavily involves my father. And for those of us who don't have a father or who have bad experiences with fathers, it is really hard to understand sometimes that God is your, is your spiritual father. But he is. And and like you said, he's not waiting to, to he's not waiting to punish us. He's waiting to love us. He's waiting to accept us. He's waiting for us to really live a life that that one glorifies him, but most importantly, that loves him and, and shows that love through speech and through action. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. that's just a, just a big part of who God is. Mm-hmm. He's not like anything else that we can understand. And so like every time that I feel like I feel like I can be an extension of God's love, I have the chance to do that or I have the chance to be that bitter, that bitter old preacher that just gets up and just says, you need to change, you sinner. Right. Or like <laughs> or I could like actually make an impact in a way that matters and so i I choose to try to err on the on the ladder i usually try and be that person that's like helping people and not just yelling at people yeah for sure for sure encompassing all of god's love not just the tough love yeah not just the gentle love but all of it because all of it is the is the true picture of god and you as someone who works in the ministry it's great that you're that you're striving to to show that love in all of its facets and and to all of its people too. So for you, being a youth pastor now and obviously working with middle school and high school students who are either going to church because they their parents bring them and they they're interested in knowing more about God, or for kids who maybe have never grown up around church culture and they're just now getting into it. What are some advice that you can give them as they navigate learning more about God and learning more about what it means to be a Christian in the midst of all the craziness that is middle school and high school life? I'm going to start off with the bumper sticker version. The bumper sticker version, if you guys want to choose to get off this podcast after this, if you want to change the world, change your heart. Like That's the mm. bumper sticker version. But like the a little bit longer version is, if you want to make a change in the world, if you want to make your impact, because that's what we, Gen, Gen Z and even the millennial generation, that's the biggest thing that we are very passionate about is that we want to make an impact in the world around us. If you mm-hmm. want to make an impact in the world around you, you've got to know what you believe and you've got to trust in those things. And um, even in moments where it gets hard, you have to choose to follow something. So you know where your destination is and you know where you need to go. And don't just wait on your parents to tell you what your destination needs to be. Like, mm-hmm. You have to believe and trust in the destination yourself. And so that's, that's probably like my little bit of advice I would give. Yeah. And if I could just tag along with that, for me growing up in church and then finding an authentic relationship with God in high school, 
I think the biggest thing that helped me was don't be afraid to dive in. Don't be afraid to ask questions. There are times where you can be like, mm, I kind of just want to go with the flow. But if you really want to, if you, if you really want to seek it out, if you want to get the most out of your relationship with God, you just got to go for it. See what works out for you. Ask a lot of questions and don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Church people are, are there to, to help you and guide you and give you answers to the questions that you might have. That way you can make an informed decision on your own where like Baba was saying, it's not just I'm doing this because my parents want me to do it. Or on the other side with high school is, oh, I'm not just doing this high school stuff because my high school friends want me to. You ask questions, you, you think about it, you open yourself up to, to answers. You'll, you'll find what you're looking for, for sure. Well, Baba, thanks for being on. Thanks for giving us your time. Thanks for joining me and, and being on this podcast to share your story. I think it's been really helpful for, for me to revisit those old things as I continue to think about my relationship with God and think about what it means to, to talk to others about their relationship with God and church and religion. But if someone else has more questions, if somebody wants to contact you, maybe they're in high school and they want to ask you as a youth pastor, questions that, that you can help them with, or if someone just wants to talk about this topic a little more, where can we reach you? All right. Well, you got a few places. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to email me, you can email me at uh, bpentimity at lifechurchroa.org. So um, if you guys don't know how to spell that last part, it's B-P-E-N-N-T-I. M I T Y at lifechurchroa.org. So that's where you can email me. And then if you want to find me on the YouTubes, if you're a YouTuber and you like watching YouTube videos, I put up funny videos and I put up videos about Jesus and stuff like that. Kind of a mixture of things. You can go to my YouTube page. Um, I'm under Baba Pentimity. So that's B A B A. Then my last name is P-E-N-N hyphen. So that's that little dash mark and then T-I-M-I-T-Y. So yeah, I know that's a lot, but those are two ways that you guys can primarily reach me. And yeah, you guys can always be able to get more info about me or my youth ministry or anything else. And I'm an open book, so. And I'll put that on the Forgive Me Father Instagram page, on the Forgive Me Father Facebook page. They'll have all of Baba's information of how, where you can reach him. And if you're subscribed to this podcast, we'll have more, more stuff like this as well. Maybe we'll even see Baba back again. But until then, Baba, thank you so much. To you, the listeners, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you again next time. <laughs>